God, we are thankful that you love us, that you care about us deeply. We thank you for the gift of your word and your Holy Spirit that illuminates illuminates it to our hearts and our minds. Pray, Lord, that you would speak now. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to respond. Fill this place with your spirit and protect it from any attacks of the enemy that he may not snatch away any seeds. Bless this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if someone were to ask you what's the greatest achievement in sports or the biggest championship, what would you say? The Super Bowl is coming up soon, and some people would probably say that, or maybe the World Cup, the Olympics, some marathon. Different sports have their own quote-unquote world championship, right? Whatever you might think, the athletes who compete on those highest levels in world championships They have a lot to get through in order to compete at that highest level. With their hope of winning a trophy, a prize, medal, money, or the glory of being a world champion, athletes are inspired and motivated to make great sacrifices. They train, they work out, practice for hours every day. Think about how many times a figure skater in the Olympics has to do the same maneuver over and over and over again. And... Sometimes young men think, oh, it's nothing to play in the NBA, but those athletes shoot free throws thousands and thousands of times, shooting the same shot over and over again. Sprinters just practice their takeoff over and over and over again. They hone their skill, developing their muscle memory, so that when it's time to compete, the amount of nerves are minimized, muscle memory takes over, and what they've practiced hundreds, thousands, maybe ten thousands of times is natural and automatic. Sometimes athletes move to another spot where they can have better access to training facilities. They go to a, a certain coach or trainer to increase their chances of winning glory. Sometimes they and their families, they spend all that they've got just for a chance to win. And if you've ever watched the Olympics, the broadcasters love to highlight these stories. You turn on the Olympics hoping to watch sports and you spend half your time hearing the stories that they tell. But they share the stories because people love to hear about people who have overcome adversity. They've put in thousands of hours into training, the sacrifices that they've made in order to compete in the Olympics, all for the chance of winning a gold medal. Many athletes, they throw themselves wholeheartedly into their sport with that hope of Olympic gold, Super Bowl champion, Wimbledon champion, World Cup winner, whatever it might be. Sacrifice, endurance, drive, those are some of the words that we'd probably use to describe these athletes. And taking a phrase from the civil rights movement here in our country, they have their eyes on the prize. The sacrifice, the repetition, the pain, all put in the hope of winning the prize. That future goal inspires and motivates athletes to press on. And as I was thinking about all of that, if that is true for athletes, how much more for us as Christians Ought we persevere, sacrifice, live out our faith, knowing that we pursue a prize that will never break, fade, tarnish, get stolen, or get lost? 
Athletic stories of triumph and victory often inspire and motivate other athletes. Likewise, faith stories can inspire and motivate us as Christians to wholeheartedly follow Jesus and live lives of faith and obedience, keeping our eyes on the prize. And this morning, we're going to read, I'm, I'm not going to read, but Sheila's going to read, a very large passage of scripture from the book of Hebrews that outlines some of these stories of faith. There's this passage in Hebrews 10 to 12 where the author is talking about faith, and then in chapter 12 specifically, he highlights all these people from the Old Testament, maybe the intertestamental period, even into the New Testament era of people who lived by faith and what that looks like. So if you don't mind coming up, I don't know where the mic is. Oh, you already have it. How about that? All right, Hebrews 11, starting with verse 1. Give you a minute to look that up. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed as God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. 
By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each one of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking, for, looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refused to be released, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, prosecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith. Yet not one of them received what they had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning and shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Well, thank you. And thank you all for bearing with <laughs> that passage. It's a great passage, but it is quite long. You may know the, the kid's story, the little engine that could, with the train saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Hopefully you caught the refrain in there, by faith, by faith, by faith, 18 times by faith. The author uses that in the original language. And in the larger passage, 31 times faith words show up. It's a huge emphasis that the author is making for us as followers of Jesus. What does it look like to live by faith? And there's hours you could say about what was in there. We're not going to do that. We're going to... Key in and a few a few highlights this morning, but 
living by faith, it's not about changing our mindset or thinking positive thoughts like, I think I can, I think I can. Following Jesus is living a life of faith where we trust the living God in all things to get us through whatever we may face in life. And in that passage, you hear story after story, sacrifice, endurance, perseverance, drive, women and men with their eyes on the prize, pursuing their heavenly reward at great cost. <laughs> There's some really graphic stuff there at the end about what happened to some of those people. They lived by faith, facing extreme hardship, difficulty, imprisonment, and death. And if we continue the story beyond the first century, there's numerous others that we could mention as well. Uh, Paul, Peter, John, Augustine, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King, Fannie Lou Hamer, Mother Teresa, and the list goes on and on of women, men, boys and girls, living by faith, pursuing a promise they never received, living with their eyes on the prize. And that brings us to us here today in this room. What will we do? How will we live? How will we take our part in the race of faith? Will we sacrifice, persevere, and live by faith? Will we press on pursuing our heavenly reward, having our eyes fixed on Jesus, having our eyes fixed on the prize? Those are questions for us. And I've got numerous questions as we go through, but a question that um, often people think about with, with faith is, What's the relationship between faith and deeds, or faith and works? And it's not as complicated as people make it out to be at times, because they're, they're two sides of the same coin. Uh, James, the very next book in the Bible, says in 2.26, faith without works is dead. And he says in 2.19, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. True faith must be demonstrated with with action, with things that we do, with, with good deeds. But on the other hand, action or good deeds by themselves without faith, they do not bring about salvation or justification in God's sight. They are, those good deeds are just done as an end in themselves. So for us today, the bigger question is, what does it look like to live out our faith? Because many of us have faith in Jesus, we have faith in God, but then how do we demonstrate that? How do we put that into practice in the real world? So if we look at Hebrews 11, the author makes it evident that faith is being sure of God's promises and then acting accordingly. There's a future orientation or a future dimension to our faith. Faith is a certain and sure hope in what God has promised for us which motivates and inspires us to sacrifice, to persevere, to love, to press on right now in the present. So the future aspect is I know and I trust and I believe that what God has said in his word about our future hope, our future destiny, it is true. So then how do I live right now in the present? I put my faith into the action with sacrifice and all those other things right now. It's, it's like the athlete that we talked about earlier. The athlete who has his or her eyes on the prize of winning the championship motivates them to sacrifice and put their body through all these rigorous workouts so that they can compete on the highest level. For us as Christians, we have our eyes on the prize as well, and so that motivates us right now in the moment that I can live by faith, trusting God to sacrifice 
to give up, to not live a self-centered life, but to live a God-centered life instead. So in Hebrews, we have this long list of Old Testament heroes of the faith. Men and women, they had faith, they trusted in God, and then they acted upon it. True faith, like I said, is demonstrated with action. If I saw a bridge and said, I believe that this bridge is strong and secure and is a worthy bridge, but then I never did anything, I didn't really demonstrate what I just stated that I believed, right? But if I said, I believe that this bridge is well-built, it's strong and secure, and then I walked across it or I drove a car across it, I would demonstrate that I actually believed that that bridge was a good, sturdy bridge, right? And in the same way, that is how it is with our faith. I could say, I believe in God. Well, sure, show me, show me. (laughs) Show me that you believe in God through what you do, not through what you say or what you intellectually give assent to. So I could say, I believe God wants me to love my neighbors. Oh, good. Well, what are you doing about that? If I go and pick up trash in my neighborhood, if I help my neighbor out with a project that he has going on, or if I show loving kindness to him or her in some way, that demonstrates my faith, my belief that says, I believe God wants me to love my neighbor. Faith must lead to action. And here's a quick run-through summary of Hebrews 11 of all those people that lived by faith. They demonstrated it. They did something to show that they had faith in God. Abel offered God a worthy sacrifice. Noah, based on the promise that God said he was going to bring a worldwide flood, built a huge boat in faith because he took God at his word and said, oh, this flood is coming. I'm going to build this boat to save us. Abraham, he left his family, his homeland, headed off to an unknown land because he took God at his word. And then he lived in tents. Him and his family lived in tents in the promised land, believing that God had promised this this land to them, even though they never built permanent structures. They didn't have possession yet, but they trusted and believed in God and so lived in that. Abraham offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice, the child of promise. Abraham trusted and believed in God so much that he was willing to put his son, the son of promise, on the altar to show that he had faith in God. Joseph gave instructions about carrying his bones up when, out of Egypt when the exodus would come sometime in the future. Moses' parents hid him instead of killing him in the Nile like Pharaoh had told them to do. They trusted in God, and so they saved their son. And then Moses, when he was grown up, he chose to identify with Israel and the disgrace and suffering that Israel experienced rather than indulging in the luxuries of Egypt. Israel walked through the Red Sea. Israel marched around Jericho seven times. Rahab chose to join the people of Israel, the people of God. And then you go through on and on. Countless others, they chose suffering. They chose persecution. They ruled with justice. They lived lives of poverty and disgrace instead of pursuing worldly lives of prosperity, success, and pleasure. And they all did so because of their faith, their hope and trust in God and his promises. And then at the very end, and a lot of people look at Hebrews 11 and talk about it as... uh, the hall of faith or something similar, but that's not the end of the passage. (laughs) we got to go into chapter 12. The author concludes with Jesus as the ultimate example at those first few verses of Hebrews 12, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. By faith, Jesus chose the path of suffering. 
He set aside his heavenly glory, took on the weakness of human flesh, experienced pain, loss, mockery, persecution, and death for the joy set before him, for the salvation of you and me. He went through incredible hardship, suffering, and death, but was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father. There is a reward in store for persevering faith. The Bible promises that there is a resurrection in front of us. But again, what about us? What will our story be? Will we live by faith with our eyes on the prize? Verse 13 tells us that they were still living by faith when they died. Will that be true of you and me? Will we still be living by faith when we die? Will we persevere in our faith till the end, however long it may be? By faith, what will you do? By faith, what will we do? What will be your story? Because of your faith, what will people say about you or write about you like the author of Hebrews wrote about those who came before him? And here's an example, and I didn't... I had some specific people, and I decided I needed to make this more <laughs> generic here because some people might fit in this category I wasn't thinking about. So thinking about those of us in this room, by faith, some of us left everything that was familiar to us. Some of us left our family to go someplace else for the sake of the kingdom of God. By faith, some of us began small businesses with no guarantee of earthly success. By faith, some of us began ministries, whether it was something big or maybe a prayer group at your workplace or a small group, not knowing whether that ministry would last. By faith, a group of individuals started Connection Church. By faith, some of us fostered and are fostering children. By faith, others adopted or welcomed people into our home for a season and in life. By faith, mothers gave up hours and hours to take care of their children, feeding, changing diapers, potty training, going without sleep. By faith, many of us worship God with our finances by giving to God's work here and around the world. By faith, some of us kept following Jesus even though maybe you lost your job or loved ones or couldn't see where God was taking you in life. By faith, some of us held on to Jesus and never gave up when the going got tough, when it just seemed like everything in life was falling apart around us. We clung to Jesus and maintained our faith. By faith, some of us maintained our faith in the midst of ridicule, pain, suffering, loss. And by faith, we share our faith with our neighbors. We love and serve our coworkers. We forgive those who've hurt us. And the list could go on and on. And the reason why I kept it generic is I made this list because I don't want to put anyone on a pedestal. And I also don't want to exclude anyone either. I want to encourage us that many of us are living by faith. And I want to encourage us, keep going. Like Jordan said last week, don't give up. That spoke to me. I've been tempted to give up. And I just need to hear a brother say, don't give up. Keep going. Persevere. Many of you are living by faith. It's hard, I know. There's suffering, 
Jordan shared about the Novacek's with suffering. I've been thinking about suffering as well, and there's been a lot of suffering that we've experienced in our family. Don't give up, though. Keep your faith. Stay strong. Keep following Jesus. Keep your eyes on the prize. And maybe there's some of us in this room that maybe we're not doing that. For those who maybe you're not living by faith right now or it's really hard, I want to encourage you to get in the game with us, going back to the athletic illustration from earlier. Because we need you. We need you to get off the bench. We need you to put on your spiritual armor and start living by faith. And maybe you've never trusted in Jesus before. Today's the day. It would be a great day to put your faith in Jesus and what he's done for you and start following him as your Savior and Lord. But when we live by faith, we may not see the reward now. We may not experience what God has promised during our earthly sojourn. But as Hebrews talks about, God has a heavenly city for us. And I want to encourage us, us, encourage us to pursue it together, to live for it together, living by faith, keeping our eyes on the prize. So I want to give us some other concrete, practical examples of what that might look like for us to live by faith. How we can do that. So last week, Jordan talked about our identity as followers of Jesus, of who we are as God's beloved children. Knowing that, knowing our identity as children of God, what kind of lives ought we to live? Well, it's a life of faith, as I've been... (laughs) hammering home. It's not just sitting around in silence, contemplating the divine. A life of faith is lived out in the real world, living a life of obedience to God. Faith also is not blind, as some people say. I've heard people say, you just got to have faith. Well, faith in what? (laughs) You can't just have faith. We put our faith in the triune God of Scripture. It's not blind. It's based on God's word and evidence for it. And faith also needs to be prompted by love. I've been reading and thinking about 1 Corinthians 13, and 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, If I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So our faith needs to be prompted and motivated by love. God calls us to himself and to a love relationship with him, and in the midst of that love relationship, we live a life of faith, trusting God by obeying him. And so with with our daughter, often in times of correction, one of the things I remind her of is that mommy and daddy love you. And I ask, do you trust us? She says, yes. It's like, well, we love you and you trust us. You may not always understand what we say or why we tell you you can't do certain things or why we tell you you need to do certain things, but because you love us and because you trust us, we need you to obey. We need you to listen and we need you to do what we tell you to do and also not to do the things (laughs) that we tell you not to do because we love you, because we care about you, because we have what is best for you as your parents. And as I think about that as parents... How much more so is our Heavenly Father having our best interests at heart? Because God loves and cares about us way more than Lauren and I love and care about Hannah and have what's best in store for her. And that's true for each and every one of us in this room, that those of us who are parents, we know how much we love our kids and how much we want them to do well, to protect them from evil, to protect them from harm. 
And so we want them to trust and obey us out of that love relationship with God. He loves us so much more than us as parents loving our kids. And he wants us to trust and obey him because we love him and because we have faith in him. And so our faith out of that love relationship is demonstrated in obedient action out in the world and in all spheres of influence in our life. So the questions for us are, do we love God? Do we trust God? And if the answers to both of those are yes, well, then we're going to live by faith and obey him and take him at his word like the people in Hebrews 11 did. So numerous ways that that could look like. By faith, we can love our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, our family. On the handout that hopefully you received when you got in, if you didn't, you can get one on the way out. But one of the, the application points on there is to pick one person in your sphere of influence that you can tangibly show God's love to. Maybe it's a thank you card, a note of appreciation. Maybe it's a meal or giving someone their favorite snack. Maybe it's checking in on someone when it snows. Maybe it's shoveling snow for someone in your neighborhood, sending a text, a call, or an email that's meaningful to someone. What I think we'd encourage you to do is pray and see if God lays someone on your heart and then pray and ask God maybe what specifically you could do. That's one way we can put our faith into action is by showing God's love to someone in our sphere of influence. Another thing that we can do that demonstrates our faith that is a thing that you do but may not seem like it is to rest. Sabbath, to take time off, to cease the nation of Israel, God gave the commandment of Sabbath to them. It was, it was a command, right, to, to rest one day a week. And God set the example from the, the seven days of creation, six days of creation, and the seventh, God ceased and stopped. It takes faith to do so, right? For Israel, especially when they were dependent upon the land of animals and farming, that their neighbors worked seven days a week all the time. But for them, as followers of Yahweh, it took a step of faith to say, you know what, I'm not going to work on that seventh day. I'm not going to work in my field. I'm not going to pull the weeds. I'm going to trust God to provide for me and to provide for my family. I see people in the world that they think it's all dependent upon them. And they work, they work, they work all the time to take care of themselves, to take care of their family. But as Christians, that's not how God tells us to live. And a part of our faith is demonstrated by ceasing, to not act like it's all dependent upon me, but to trust that God is going to take care of me and my family by stopping and resting. Living by faith includes engaging in God's mission in the world, and I would argue that taking time to rest is part of God's mission in the world because it goes all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. So part of our resting is engaging in God's mission in the world, but there's also some other things that we can do. And are we going to be obedient to partner with God in the mission that he has for the world? One of those is to be obedient to Jesus to make disciples of all nations from Matthew 28. Are we sharing the good news of Jesus with others? Are we seeking to represent Jesus through our words and our actions in the world around us? 
Are we telling others that they can be reconciled to God and can have a relationship with God? Do we know that we're God's ambassadors here? He's called us to um, represent him, to take his word to those around us. God told us in Genesis 1 to rule over the earth. Are we representing him well by ruling in a good and right way over creation that brings honor to God? God has blessed us. Are we, out of the overflow of his blessing, are we seeking to bless others with what blessing we have received from him? Jesus told us the most important commands are to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Do we love God and do our lives show that we love God? Do we love our neighbors through words, action, but also through advocacy, standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves, pursuing justice, demonstrating mercy? Do our actions and our words show that we are people of justice and mercy? And not just for people that are like us, right? Because if you read through the Old Testament, on God's heart are the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner over and over again. And those are probably uh, not people that we would rub shoulders with unless we're very intentional about pursuing the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner in our midst. And those are special places for us to show God's justice and his mercy in the world. And that's part of living out God's mission in the world is pursuing justice and mercy for all. And then do we love others within the body of Christ? Jesus said the world would know that we are his disciples if we have love for one another. And I'm not just talking about people within this room, within the body of connection, but do we love our brothers and sisters at other churches in Danville, Vermilion County, and then thinking about the global church as well? Because we're not competitors, right? We're all on the same team. If they love Jesus, if their core theological foundations match up with ours and they're pursuing God's mission in the world, then we can join hand in hand and pursue what God has for us, working together, keeping our eyes on the prize. I know I've been blessed over the years to build friendships and relationships with black and white pastors in our community to build friendship and relationship with other brothers and sisters from a lot of different varieties of, of backgrounds and church traditions. And I've learned from them, and maybe they've learned from me, I don't know, but I know I've learned from them and some of their different backgrounds that I wouldn't have had if I didn't have those relationships. And I think it's a beautiful thing when we as Christians, we can love our brothers and sisters who are from a different political persuasion, from a different skin color or ethnic or cultural background, maybe from a different socioeconomic class that we can love and lock arms together pursuing God's mission together is a powerful witness to the world about the kingdom of God that it is something different that the world does not have. So we need to love brothers and sisters well, and not just those here and not just those who are like us, but especially those who are different as well, so that is a witness to the world of God's kingdom. And as I was thinking about this, just in this last week or maybe two weeks ago, uh, Sam and I had this email that we received from Kurt Sovine about, uh, from Trevor and Annie Freeman, some of our friends from India. Um, over the last few years, we've had a partnership with some pastors, Christian leaders in India, um, and some of them have come here, and we've developed a relationship with them, we've gotten to know them, 
And as I looked through those pictures that they had sent about some of the ministry that they were doing in India, it just struck me that they were in this simple room that there wasn't much you could just say about it. And they had these half-inflated balloons up as decoration, which I didn't know what that was. Indian, it's India, so it's a little different than our, our culture. But the people were just sitting on the floor on blankets or sheets on the floor. And I thought, if that's the way we worshipped, that you didn't get to sit in a chair, but you just had to sit on the floor in a blanket, how many people would show up? How many people would show up if our worship service was outside? How many people would show up if there was nothing fancy? And we're not really that fancy here at Connections, and you do show up. So I have reason to believe that many of us in this room would show up if we had to sit on the floor, which is a testament to you. But if you look at the, the broad church in America, a lot of times people are focused on trying to get this elaborate service together or elaborate building or elaborate what have you. But is it enough for us to love Jesus and his word and his people and come together and worship, pray, hear his word? Is that enough? Are we living by faith, and is our faith enough for us? We have a lot to learn from our brothers and sisters around the world, I have reason to believe. It's not just us praying and giving them money and supporting them, but we've got a lot to learn (laughs) from them as well about following Jesus. And thankfully, our Indian brothers and sisters, like I've talked about, we have a mutual relationship, which is the only way to do it if you're going to partner with anyone. It's got to be mutual or don't do it. Don't create dependency, right? <laughs> There's no one way. There's got to be two-way in the kingdom of God. But so many of our brothers and sisters are attacked, are imprisoned. They face difficulties and hardship and incredible suffering, and yet they maintain their faith, just like in Hebrews 11. And as I thought about God's mission in the world, I was reminded of Hebrews 11.3 that we had read earlier. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Hope Center came into existence by faith. At one point, there was no Christian ministry or presence or very little in Fair Oaks, and it started small and it grew over the years to what we have today. By faith... The Hope Center came into reality out of nothing. And that's what God's mission is supposed to be like in the world. That out of nothing, just like the universe was created out of nothing, God spoke and it came into existence. As followers of Jesus, things can happen out of nothing when we obey God by faith. Someone had asked me on the radio, did you envision this years ago? No, I did not. (laughs) When she asked me about the Hope Center, I did not envision this. This is not what I had in mind. I was just trying to be faithful and obedient to what God put in front of me. And today we have the Hope Center, which has uh, just snowballed over the years, as many of you know. And that's been the story of the church throughout the world. At one point... There weren't Christians in certain parts of the world, but somebody or some group of people stepped out in faith and took God's word and the good news of Jesus where it had not been. 
And this is the story right now, right? In the Middle East, in China, in India, there are places where there were no Christians, there were no believers, and now there are fellowships springing up around the world because people are stepping out in faith, and where there had been nothing, God is birthing something because of faith. It reminded me of Romans 4.17 as well, where it's talking about Abraham, and it says, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. And I think it's amazing that that God still is doing this, that he's calling things into existence and into being where there was nothing before. I think back a few weeks ago, Jordan was talking about Isaiah 43, where it talks about streams in the wilderness, away in the desert, where it appears that there's death and barrenness, God can bring life and fullness. What appears impossible with people is possible with God, and all we have to do is step out in faith into the future that God has for us. But we need to remember that a life of faith is not a life free of hardship. It's not a life free of difficulty, pain, opposition, antagonism, suffering, those characterize us as followers of Jesus. Not many in Hebrews 11 lived an easy life, but they all lived lives of faith, trusting God through whatever came at them in life, and then God was glorified through them and brought his kingdom and his presence through them. And so, like I said, that brings it to us today. And my hope is that we would take our place in this glorious history of faith. The baton has been passed down through the centuries to us. And so now it's time for us to take it, to run with it, and to live our lives by faith, trusting in God, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, living by faith till we die, even if we don't receive the things promised living life as foreigners and strangers on earth, looking forward to the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. It doesn't matter what's come in the past. It doesn't matter what you've done or not done or what's been done to you. But from this day forward, we can commit to living by faith, to live in such a way that as verse 16 says, God is not ashamed to be called their God. I want that to be true of me, that God would not be ashamed (laughs) to be called my God, and I hope that is true of you as well, that we keep our eyes on the prize. And as Hebrews 10, 37 through 39 says, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, and my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Stand with me, please, and let's pray. God, I pray that we would be people who step out into faith, trusting in you that we would not shrink back and are destroyed, but we step out taking that risk of faith, knowing that you are going to be with us, and even giving us the courage to embrace suffering that may come by living by faith. God, strengthen our weaknesses, embolden us, empower us with your spirit. May we encourage and strengthen one another as well. God, and as we step out in faith, may you birth new ministries out of connection. May you birth new churches 
starting new small groups, new prayer groups, new Bible studies in workplaces and families and neighborhoods, other places, Lord. May we have eyes to see what it is that you want us to do, and maybe it's just that little step of faith, but you can take that little mustard seed of faith and over the years do something incomprehensible, beautiful beyond our understanding. God, give us the courage to follow you where you lead. And may we be known as people of faith here in connection. We thank you, God, for choosing us and for calling us to yourself. And we look forward to what it is that you're going to do. Please, Lord, let us always keep our eyes on the prize and not drift away or go off to the side, Lord, but to follow you faithfully. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.